The reading today is from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. A cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there, looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from heaven, from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, very good morning to you, and it's great to have you join us. And please do keep that passage open. Uh, We're in Acts chapter 1. And uh, on the uh, service sheet, which you were sent in the week or can be found on the website, you'll see there's an outline for where I'm hoping we'll go in the next few minutes. Uh, As we begin, uh, I'll lead us in a prayer. We thank you, Father, that we are not left to guess what you are like, but in your word you have revealed your character, and your purposes to us. And we pray, Father, as we reflect on those truths this morning, that by your help, you would help us to grasp what you're telling us and help us to live it out. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever find yourself asking the question, why hasn't Jesus come back I mean, we know that through the cross we're made right with God. We know that a wonderful future awaits us. And so the obvious question is, why the delay? What are we meant to be doing in the meantime? I mean, as Christians, we we find ourselves in a bit of a gap, don't we? We find ourselves in a, in a, between a gap between knowing that we've been made right with God, knowing that we're awaiting this future, but not always knowing quite what we're meant to be doing in the meantime. 
And perhaps even you, you look back on those days where you became a Christian or had some sort of significant growth, and you, you look back to those days and you remember those days very fondly. You think, my world changed. There was lots of excitement. Everything felt new. But now the months and the years and the decades have set in, and that feeling has dissipated. And you find yourself asking the question, what now? What am I meant to be doing? Life feels very ordinary. I mean, you're still a Christian, of course, you still love Jesus, but what is the kind of whole aim for this in-between period in this gap? And perhaps there'll be even some of us that have the temptation to think to ourselves that maybe I've missed out on something. Maybe there's some sort of spiritual experience I should be experiencing or some religious devotion that I should be making. It just feels very ordinary in this gap. And perhaps for some of us, we might even question whether it's actually all true. I mean, how can we believe something so extraordinary when life feels so ordinary? Uh, perhaps even this morning that we're, we're listening into this, and we wouldn't call ourselves a Christian, and you're very welcome, it's great to have you join us this morning, but maybe this is one of the barriers you have to Christian belief. You think, well, Christian life looks very ordinary. Why is it so significant? What difference does it possibly make? See, if we ever find ourselves asking those questions, then we need the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts is all about understanding what is going on now. See, Acts is about the gap between Jesus' ascension and Jesus' return. Now, I know we're just at the beginning of this book, but um, if you were to skip ahead to the end of the book, to chapter 28... Um, It's very interesting because the book doesn't end. There's no kind of the end on the screen and the the credits roll up. Actually, it kind of finishes mid-action. And the reason I think uh, it does is very intentional. It's to show us that actually it hasn't hasn't finished yet. In, In fact, kind of the world of Acts kind of rolls on into our age. Now, often you hear people talk about the book of Acts as a kind of history of the church. And there's, of course, something in that. that The the person who writes it, we'll get to that in a moment, does speak about the history of the church. Or or you hear other people say, well, Acts is all about the Holy Spirit and all the amazing things he does. And there's something in that. The the Holy Spirit does feature very heavily in, in this book. But first and foremost, the book of Acts is not a history book of the church or a book uh, giving us guidance on the work of the Holy Spirit. First and foremost, it is about helping us to see what Jesus is doing now in our age. It's all about helping us to understand what we're meant to be doing in the gap. So if you're in 2020, as we all are, asking yourself the question, where is the world going? What are we meant to be doing? Well, this is a great place to be over these next few weeks. And this first chapter gives us a header for the whole book. It sets out the main agenda for the age we find ourselves in. Now, often I think this chapter is thought of as the classic ascension chapter. Uh, And the ascension does pop up in this chapter, but interestingly, it's very, very brief. It's almost a footnote in verse 9. In fact, I think the Ascension features more heavily in chapter 2, which we're going to get to in a couple of weeks. See, rather, I think this chapter 
is about giving us a preview of what's to come after the ascension. Now, occasionally, I find myself uh, watching uh, the odd daytime television program. Now, I don't make a habit of it. I have got a day job. Uh, but um, you're not, we've all done it. Um, you'll, you'll watch one of these daytime TV programs, and you'll get hooked in at the beginning. Now, I think the reason we get so hooked on them is because they're very good at giving you a preview. Uh, you turn it on, and it says, coming up on Judge Rinder, and then goes through all the exciting things that are about to happen that you couldn't care less for, uh, for two minutes ago, but now you want to watch it because you've seen the preview. Uh, and it's the same with every sort of program, like Come Die With Me and that sort of thing. Uh, and I don't know about you, as soon as I've seen that preview, I'm hooked, I want to watch the rest. And the first half of this chapter does exactly that. It's about giving us a preview of what's to come, not only in the book, but also in our age. And there's three things that we are to see in this first chapter. First of all, in our age, we've got a leader. Uh, Secondly, we've got a helper. And thirdly, we've got a message. See, first of all, when it comes to our age, when it comes to living in this gap, uh, we, we see here that we have someone in the driver's seat uh, let's um, just do a bit of background on this book. The, the book's written by Luke, uh, who's a doctor, uh, so he's an educated guy, and he's followed uh, the apostles round for a period of time. And we read in verse 1 that he's writing to someone called Theophilus, uh, and we don't know exactly who he is. He's cer- almost certainly a Christian. Uh, he could be some sort of patron, some sort of financial sponsor for Luke writing this work. Uh, But what's interesting in verse 1 is that Luke, who's writing this, speaks about his former book. Now, he's speaking now about Luke's gospel. Now, he didn't call it Luke's gospel, uh, but uh, that's what we've called it. And and he's saying, look, he he references uh, that former book, the the, the gospel. Now, I know in our modern Bibles that we've got John in between uh, Luke and Acts, but really uh, we're to read them as two parts, as a kind of compendium. But what's even more interesting is notice how he describes that former book. Look at what he says in verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, you see that word began there. It's very intentionally chosen. See, it doesn't say that in my former book I recorded everything Jesus did. It's all that Jesus began to do. Now, what does that suggest to you? Well, it suggests, surely, that Jesus' work hasn't finished. Maybe you say, well, ah, I know Jesus' work has finished, because Jesus, when he dies on the cross, says it is finished. So what does Luke mean? Well, actually, if we look back to the end of Luke in chapter 24, verse 46, we saw this last week, Clive took us through, and you'll see I've put the verses on your handouts. Uh, Here's what Jesus says. This is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. See, notice that Jesus doesn't just say, look, the Old Testament spoke about my death and resurrection. He does say that, but he says the Old Testament spoke about my death and resurrection, and this news of repentance for the forgiveness of sins being taken out to the ends of the earth, starting with Jerusalem. In other words, two out of the three agenda items have been ticked off, but one is still to come. 
So when Jesus says, it is finished, he's absolutely right. It is finished. The cross, uh, the resurrection has meant that he has done everything necessary to open the door back to God. He's saying that we don't need to add our religious merit, our own efforts to kind of somehow please God, or we don't need to go through some uh, ritual of sacrifice. Everything's done. It's all about receiving what Jesus has done. But in another way, it is not finished in that that work, that wonderful achievement that Jesus made on the cross and in his resurrection, has yet to be declared to the ends of the earth. Now that is exactly what we see in Acts. Uh, When we come back to Acts in chapter 1 verse 8, we see uh, Luke picks up on that language. Uh, Chapter 1 verse 8, by the way, is the most important verse in Acts. It's the the real headline for the book. Um, It it, uh, gives us the structure of what's going to take place. See, Acts is, um, it's structured a bit like an archery board. Uh, It kind of spreads out from the middle. Uh, It starts off in Jerusalem, goes to Judea and goes to Samaria and then goes to the ends of the earth or at least to Rome uh, by the end of the book. And Jesus says uh, exactly that in 1 verse 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, here's the point. If you've tuned out, come back in now. Here's the point that Jesus is saying, I've only just begun My work now is to take that news of my finished achievement to the ends of the earth. Our big hope, of course, in the um, current uh, coronavirus pandemic is that we will be able to create a vaccine. It's something we're all praying for, something we're all hoping for. And the moment we achieve the, the vaccine, if that does indeed take place, that moment will be a very, very significant moment. I mean, the first person to be immunized against the coronavirus will be a very significant person. But we all know, if that moment does come, that that will be only the beginning of what is going to be a major piece of work to get that vaccine out across the whole world. It's useless if it just stays with one person. And it's similar here. Jesus hasn't stopped because he's died and rose again. He's not and I hope this isn't irreverent, kind of ascended into heaven to put his feet up and twiddle his thumbs. He is now at work taking his finished work out across the world. Now, I don't know about you, but that really helps us, doesn't it, as we try to kind of navigate this life in the gap. See, often it's very easy, isn't it, to to sometimes feel that Jesus has kind of left us, that we're much worse off. And sometimes we find, especially perhaps at the moment, that our world feels kind of in limbo, without aim or purpose, just going round and round and round. But as Christians, that is not what we see, is it? Jesus is working now to bring news of his forgiveness to the ends of the earth. It's also, I think, easy to look around the world with perhaps pessimism, and think that God has somehow had enough. Uh, perhaps we look back to those kind of glory days where we were convinced that God's work, the kind of reformation, the, the revivals, and uh, perhaps some of the 20th century great leaders, and we think, well, God's work then, but now surely he's had enough. Society's gone too far. We've moved on. 
But actually, nothing has changed in terms of Jesus' priorities, has it? Far from pessimism, Christians should be the most optimistic people on the planet because we have a leader who is in the driving seat. Now, maybe you ask the question off the back of that, how is that the case? I mean, Jesus obviously isn't with us in uh, a physical sense, and so how can he rule? And perhaps for for lots of us as Christians, it, it often doesn't feel like Jesus is in the driving seat in our lives. But the second thing Luke shows us here is that we're not left alone. We have a helper. Now, interestingly, there's actually 40 days I hadn't really thought about this, but 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension. And uh, we don't often think about it, but Luke actually gives us a fair bit of detail of what takes place in those 40 days uh, in this chapter. Uh, We read uh, that uh, Jesus spent time with the 11 apostles. Uh, And just look at what he says to them, verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. See, Jerusalem, if you think about it, would be the last place uh, these apostles would want to go back to. I mean, given what's already taken place there in previous weeks. But Jesus says, no, it's very important you go back to Jerusalem. And the reason is, is because there he's going to pour out the Holy Spirit on them. Now, if you're a Jewish reader or you know your Old Testament very well, you'll know that this is an incredible and momentous moment. See, the promise of the Spirit was going to coincide with the transformation of the nation. Uh, Let me give you an example of that. Here's um, a verse from Isaiah 32 that I think Luke picks up on. Uh, He says this, Until the Spirit is poured out on us, speaking of God's people, on high... And the desert becomes a fertile, a fertile field, rather, and the fertile field becomes like a forest. See, he's saying, look, the Spirit is going to come, and it's, he's going to be like an incredible fertilizer, so that a desert becomes like a field, and a field becomes like a forest. And here, a couple of verses later, just read what's going to happen. My people will live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest, Do you see the point? This is the expectation. The Spirit will come and there will be this incredible transformation so that God's people in Israel can live in peace. And when you have that in the back of your mind, you'll see that that's why they ask the question they do in 1 verse 6. See, uh, we read, so that when they met together, they asked him, "Lord, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And you see the thinking, can't you? The resurrection's happened. The Spirit's now been promised. Here's the amazing transformation that's about to take place. It's a bit like, um, I don't know if you've ever been around someone's house and they're, they're, they've promised to cook you Sunday dinner. And they say, relax, put your feet up. Uh, I'll take care of everything. And so you sit there, you're perhaps um, reading the paper or looking out the window or, or whatever. And you just hear in the other room the kind of cutlery jiggle around. And then you start to hear some of the plates being put on the table. And then you hear the oven door open and close, and you suddenly get the smell of the food. Now, I don't know about you, but I start salivating. I think, this is it. It's coming. And this is exactly the same for the apostles. They've seen the resurrection happen. 
They've seen Jesus established as God's king. They, they hear this promise of the Spirit being poured out, and they think, this is it, it's lunchtime. Except that it's not. See, Jesus here wants to shift their expectations. See, Jesus actually corrects them. He corrects them in two parts. He, he says in 1 verse 7, you don't know God's timing. In the nicest possible way, Jesus reminds them that God's timing is a need-to-know basis and you don't need to know. And despite Jesus being very clear on that, it's not stopped a few crazy people through the centuries trying to guess. But that's only part of the answer. See, actually Jesus goes on to a second part of the answer. Do you notice in 1 verse 8 again? I told you it was important. He says, the Holy Spirit's going to come and you're going to be my witnesses. But he's not coming to kind of bring this transformation now. He's not come to uh, transform Israel. He's not come to overthrow the Romans. Rather, he's come to do this work of taking the news of my salvation to the ends of the earth. See, coming back to what we spoke about at the beginning with this kind of gap and what are we meant to be doing and what's it all about, we see here that Jesus is working by his Spirit to ensure that that news of forgiveness goes out to the ends of the earth. So that ordinary people, people like me, people like you, hear that message of the cross and believe it. So different, isn't it, sometimes to what we expect is going to happen. Sometimes I think we've got a lot of sympathy. I've got a lot of sympathy with the Apostle's question. We, we think to ourselves, well, we've got a powerful Savior. We've got a powerful God who directs the affairs of the world. Surely it would look very different. Surely the, the kingdom would be established in a very powerful way. That's what the apostles are asking. And maybe you, you're an outside of the Christian faith and you look in and you think, well, yeah, surely it should be. If people really say Jesus is the Son of God, surely it would be more obvious or more powerful. I had a friend, uh, uh, a good friend of mine, not a Christian, but he texted me on Easter Day to wish me Happy Easter. And uh, I thought, oh, what's he up to? And it, I noticed he wrote down at the end of the text, it would be a good time for your man to make an appearance, perhaps. And the point was, I guess, that we've got this massive crisis. Where is he? What's he doing? But Jesus doesn't work as we might expect. He doesn't dance to our tune. He subverts our notions of power. He is taking this message out. We're not going through life aimlessly. He's transformed uh, these 11 apostles to take that message to the ends of the earth. But maybe we still ask the question, how's that taking place? I mean, it it feels very abstract. Jesus working, the Spirit being poured out. Where do we kind of slot in here? Well, thirdly, Jesus wants us, uh, or Jesus through Luke wants us to see how this news is going to come to the world. Now, what's interesting here in this passage is the amount of times Luke goes into who Jesus spoke to. Uh, Notice 1 verse 2, he says, uh, he speaks about the apostles who he had chosen. Uh, 1 verse 3, he says that he presents proofs, not just to everyone, although he did, but he says to these men, the apostles, And 1 verse 4, he points out he was eating with them, with the apostles. And 1 verse 8, his audience there is not everyone, but it's the apostles who are the witnesses. So in other words, these verses show us that this isn't a kind of general command to every Christian. 
Luke is very intentional that he wants us to understand that these are for the apostles. In fact, as you look across Luke and Acts, you see that apostles is a very technical term. It's used for the 11 uh, throughout uh, both books. Now, hear me right on this. That's not to say that the Holy Spirit doesn't come to every Christian. He does. In fact, you can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit makes Christians. And that doesn't mean that we don't have some role in witnessing to the world. We're going to see as we go through the book of Acts that we do. But first and foremost, this passage isn't a kind of direct command to us, but rather showing us that Jesus has commissioned these 11, soon to be 12, as his spokesmen. It's a bit like, um, this isn't a perfect analogy, but it's a bit like a football manager. Do you remember football? Uh, we used to play it months ago. I know it's all being cancelled. It's kind of fake memory. Uh, but it was a game where 11 would be on each side and they would kick a ball around for 90 minutes and uh, the, the score would be nil, nil, one, one or something like that. And, and it's a bit similar in the sense that the, the football manager doesn't get out there and play the game on their own. They, they commission 11 players to go and do the job. Now, as I say, it's not a perfect analogy because Jesus doesn't kind of sit on the sidelines and just watch it all happen. But the point is that Jesus commissions specifically these 11 to take this work of witnessing to the ends of the world. Now, how on earth does he do that when we know full well that the apostles have died out long ago? Well, we have their writing. In fact, that's what the New Testament is. It is the writings of the apostles and the people that were attached to them, the most close, uh, the closely attached to them. So the New Testament, when we read it, and maybe you've not heard this before, but the New Testament isn't just some ideas people have about God. It's not just that some people have got in a room and kind of dreamt up the idea of the gospel. It's not that at all. This is Jesus' means of taking his news of salvation to the ends of the world. Now, when I became a Christian, I think there were lots of influences as I look back on how that happened. I, I met some lovely people. I went to a wonderful church. I uh, had some very patient friends who would put up with lots of my questions. But the thing I remember most is a friend of mine said to me, you should read through a gospel. And I said, what gospel should I read? And he said, Luke's gospel. Just, just have a read through it. And I, I remember I went to the bookshop in the centre of Bristol, I, I bought the Bible, the Good News version with all the pictures. I thought that would be easier. And um, I sat on my bed and for a few days I read through Luke's Gospel. And I remember as I did, I thought, I've got to follow this guy. Not my friend, Jesus. And it always sticks with me because I think that is how Jesus pulled me in. See, there is a power in this word and that's to be expected because this is Jesus' way of taking salvation to the ends of the earth. See, it's worth remembering that, isn't it? As we do that hard work of teaching the New Testament, uh, perhaps we, it feels very ordinary to us, or perhaps we find it very difficult. Perhaps we're a children's leader and we feel we don't get much response from the, the young children, or we're, we're taking part in the youth Zoom conferences and we're wondering how much is heard. Or perhaps you're sharing scripture with a friend or you're trying to teach something about Jesus during the lockdown where the kids are going absolute bananas and you just wonder to yourself, is this having any effect? Is this worth persevering with? Well, Jesus is reminding us, absolutely, this is the means that we hear 
about salvation. And the fact that this is to the apostles, I think, means that this chapter is actually incredibly encouraging. Now, when I first looked at this passage, I thought, aha, this is the kind of classic evangelism passage where I kind of whip us all up to say, St. Mary's, go out to the ends of the earth and take the gospel out. But then as I looked close, more closely at it, I realized that actually it's not about that uh, at all. See, the thing is, if we do that, I, I think it becomes a, a burden on our back. See, I say to you, evangelize, and you think, well, yeah, but I, I don't really take the opportunities as I should, and you, you feel extra guilty about it. But actually, the, the passage isn't about us jumping into action and showing up our inadequacies. Actually, the passage is about Jesus and his faithfulness to his promise. See, uh, we often think about Jesus' faithfulness, don't we, in going to his death and rising again from the grave. I wonder how often do we think about his faithfulness to have taken that news out to the ends of the earth. But that's exactly what we're being shown here uh, this morning. See, if you and me are a Christian, it's because Jesus has stayed faithful to his promise. Just think for a moment of how significant it is that you are a Christian. Uh, Just think of the the person who told you uh, about Jesus for the first time. Perhaps some friends, uh, perhaps you were brought up in a family where Jesus was shared, or perhaps a combination of the two. Now think to yourself, how did they find out? And think to yourself again, how did the person that told them find out as well? And take it back, back and back and back. How did they find out? How did they find out? And how did they find out? And trace it back enough steps through the centuries, and we we all come back to this central point in Acts 1. See, the fact that you and me are a Christian today is because of this moment where Jesus chose these 11 men to take news of his salvation out. I don't know about you, but that encourages me because we not only have a faithful saviour who goes faithfully to his death to conquer sin and defeat death, But we have a saviour who is faithful every day of our lives through the entirety of this age to make sure that news is heard across the world. So that question at the beginning, why the gap? What is happening? Well, Jesus is working. He's given us the spirit. He's commissioned the apostles until news of that forgiveness of sin is heard across the world the world. Now, if that is God's priority, well then, of course, it goes without saying that that should be our church's priority. And it goes without saying that that should be our own individual priority. And we will find that as we line up with Jesus's purposes here, well, he's pleased to help us in that work. Let's pray. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We thank you, our Lord Jesus, for this great promise and this great promise that you have not finished working but are achieving your purposes until news of this salvation reaches the ends of the earth. Please encourage us, we pray. 
as we benefit from that work and seek to share in it. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.